Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGrewer, for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm here with Peter Coggill, Nick Hare and Chris Ragg of Aleph Insights. And this week we're discussing Mary Poppins. Peter, Mary Poppins, why are we talking about her? Um, so I, it, recently, uh, it was announced that uh, they are making. There's a remake of Mary Poppins being made, um, starring Emily Blunt uh, as Mary Poppins. Um, now, as much as I like Emily Blunt and she's a talented actress, singer, etc., she's no Julie Andrews, is she? Let's face it, she's she's not in the same same league, really. So it got me wondering, why why remake this movie, which isn't that old, is still brilliant. It's and pretty old. Well, like 50 years? I yeah, mean, but it's not in terms of it's still within living memory. You it? can sit down and watch it and not go, oh, this is an old film. Mm. It's, still, it's not yeah. like watching a silent movie or something. I mean, it's got it's uh, it's got um, Dick Van Dyke in it, which is obviously a bad thing, doing a pretty terrible accent. But Oh, he's amazing. But um, apart, from, apart from him, it's a brilliant movie. So why does it need to be remade? So it got me thinking, why, why what, 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 uh, what, 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 what are the criteria that cause a, uh, a, a, a production company to decide, let's remake a movie? Uh, obviously, they're looking to make some money out of it, but why did they choose Mary Poppins? Why don't they, why don't they do another classic? Like um, The Sound of Music. Like The Sound of Music or West Side Story. Or, yeah, it's really inconceivable, isn't it? I mean, I mean, remaking Mary Poppins would have been inconceivable until you told me about it. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, so keep going, Peter. Uh, well, that's it, really. So why, why, why did they choose it? Um, and... Will 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 we forever get these remakes? Some of them which are terrible, you know, terrible sequels and terrible reboots, etc. Well, let, let's broaden this out. I mean, what's with all the remakes? Okay, what's with all the remakes? so I remember about twenty, thirty years ago, seeing on a comedy sketch somewhere where it was talking about Rambo Eight or mm. something, saying, and it was just the whole absurdity of it. Yeah. In, well, in back, this... to the, back to the Future Two, there's the, there's Jaws forty three or something, okay. uh, playing at the cinema. Yeah. And whereas now there are definitely and franchises where that's what they've become, where you know number eight is no big deal. It's it, it, no one sort of scoffs at that. Okay, so um, and, and but the, some and, of these franchises are brilliant. So um, the Marvel series, mm. they are brilliant movies that make tons of money, huge fan base, um, including myself, big fan, um, and yet. Of the same genre, um, things like the Spider-Man, the endless Spider-Man reboots. Of the... I know. They, they, it's like they're now rebooting them faster than they can release them. <laughs> it's creepy. <laughs> they were, but, I mean, but, they were awful. So. I, I, I think so. There's there's sequels and then there's remakes, and I think there's there's obviously a distinction. Oh, sorry, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, we need we need data. I've got some data. The man to go to for film data, by the way, is uh, Stephen Follows. We'll got put a link to his website in the show notes. But yeah, you should follow him. Oh, that's terrible. Bad. I'm not, yeah. Uh, so, so, um, yeah. So, actually, and, and when you look at the data, it, there's a slight change in in uh, the picture. Um, But it's not totally unambiguously the case that, you know, everything these days is a remake. Um, So in in, between 2005 and 2015, about 40 percent of films uh, were truly original, which is possibly 40 percent, did you say? 
Uh, The thing is that the biggest 10 films of each year, on average, are um, only truly original 15% of the time. So there's a first clue that, tragically, uh, original films make less likely to be successful. Uh, In 2013 and 2014, none of the top 10 grossing films were were original. Um, Now... uh, yeah, the, but but actually, the percentage of remakes has been falling over the last decade. Um, in in twenty two thousand five, seventeen percent of the top grossing films were remakes, but by twenty fourteen, it was it was only five percent. Right, so um, yeah, so uh, at the moment, so some, I think something like thirty percent of top uh, horror films are remakes, and I think horror is the biggest, the most remade uh, genre. In fact, the fourth horror film ever made it was a remake of the first horror film ever made it's an interesting fact so yeah uh basically uh remakes or reboots are declining but sequels and spin-offs and prequels and so on are increasing right so that's the situation i think it backs up what peter's saying that actually what we're seeing is companies trying to create cinematic universes you know as they're known so the sort of marvel universe thing that is the holy grail for any uh film uh, production company is being able to create some ip which is just going to keep on giving um so yeah i mean so the tragic news is that uh although there are slightly fewer um reboots and remakes uh there are definitely more sequels and the fact is they're successful and um yeah that's that's the thing it's our fault we keep going to see them okay so like a, a dog returning to its own vomit um well look let's just talk about mary poppins for a moment because it's actually not a remake um it's a because it takes place i think you know when the the original children have grown up a bit um so i guess really it is a sequel mm. um but um, I, didn't, I didn't know that i thought it was a full up full-on remake i haven't looked into the film so, right so okay. the link that you all sent me none of you actually looked at oh it, i didn't know <laughs> so there is like a two minute trailer in there. no i just i got as far as being outraged and then stopped <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> like posting on twitter that's, about that, it that's, that's how yeah. things done that's how now good analysis well i think done. that's what they call a soft reboot isn't it? it's where you have it's a bit like what they did with annie a few years ago you know you take the same more or less the exact same story and you sit up you bring it up to date in a different well, look, let's put it in another way this let's turn it around a little bit even the original films even if we call them original, as we all know, there's only about five stories out there. You know, boy meets girl, mm. boy likes girl, girl doesn't like boy, uh, boy gets girl. I mean, that's one version. And there's, you know, other um, permutations of stories. So even the original ones are going to be, you know, following a similar kind of story. It's just with the remakes or even with the sequels, it's just returning to a, a universe or characters with which we're familiar. So, I mean, what's the big deal? Uh, well, we shouldn't be that worried about it, should we? No, I, well, I think for me, it's the um, the lack of innovation in in the movie industry in particular, even in the way it does remakes, right? So on the whole, the reason you remake a film is because the first one was good and people know about it, and so you're remaking it. So you're on a little bit of a hiding hiding to nothing you know in terms of regression to the mean and you know it's going to be difficult to live up to that that original film but other uh other sort of artistic um areas do this better look at music and cover cover versions right you know often cover versions are better than the original song and there are many famous cover versions you know like um uh, all along the watchtower tainted love uh shares the shoop shoop song don't uh, don't leave me this way don't leave me this way quite um so you know there there are there are lots of um 
effectively remakes of the song of older songs but that are very successful and very innovative and that's i think the 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 key what the what the movie industry isn't great at is redoing something in a innovative and and giving it a, a fresh bit. yeah okay, in fact so... and obviously with visual arts uh, remakes are baked into the history of visual arts you know you there are set compositions like the Pieta or whatever you know which are where you you know you know what you're going to put in it uh, and it's just the way you paint it which which um, yeah, or, makes it stand out so, or, so or there's nothing planes, there's, there's nothing wrong per se with revisiting an old idea an old theme that's I what mean, classical Shakespeare illusion Shakespeare is ripped yeah, off loads of his stories right hold on isn't this to do with cost and risk so making a movie uh, and making a successful movie costs lots of money right it costs what 50 million 100 million pounds i don't know whatever it costs uh it was making a song um costs money but it's not as expensive yeah I think and so that, therefore uh, yeah. um, you you need to limit your there risks are, and so it's easier just to go to what to a there formula. are many more there are many more variables in movies as well i think so if you're just if you're just reusing a melody and uh, the baseline of a song that's there's two two or three variables in that the, you know the artist is one but with a movie there are lots and lots of variables and big company big movie companies like sony and mgm they 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 see it as it's a business opportunity for them that they 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 do terrible things like product placement and all sorts of things, which just distract, distract from the original story, the original vision of the movie, which may have been a bit of a cult classic back in its day. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I so think just sorry before you come in, Chris, I feel we're going a bit rudderless here. Yeah, where, no, I think I think just to go back to what you said, Fraser, about cost, right? So I mean, I you know, that's right. Chris is Chris is right. Yes, there are covers which are better than the originals, but I bet for any given song, there are thousands of covers which are much worse. Uh, you know, every cruise singer is banging out covers of songs uh, in a much worse way than than whatever we consider to be the original recording. So, so I think that you know, actually, probably encompassed by the same underlying theory here, which is uh, risk and reward. And and the you know, I think most people are agreed that um, you know, obviously, uh, th- these making films is getting more expensive. Um, cinema sales are you know lower cinema tickets are more expensive now uh, the whole thing it means that you've got to get it right um and uh, doing a sequel is a really really easy way of getting it right you've got a very good chance of making money with a sequel certainly compared to making uh making an original film yeah, uh, which your, is a disappointing your, a lot of your marketing is already done for you because you just piggyback yeah. on the original yeah. and so but in theory that should mean well what we should do is be churning out lots of cheap original films and then lots of slightly it's almost like a filtering process we should the budget should be ramping up with each sequel and i think that kind of does happen that kind of does happen from the indie scene you get a breakout hit and then you get number 2 number 3 particularly in the horror genre why why do why why do sequels have to be they seem so often to be i mean their ratings for example on average and as you said this could be regression to the mean but on average the ratings for sequels are almost always uniformly worse than the originals that's really disappointing isn't it I mean, yeah, fine. You're going to get the money anyway. At least to make a, make a film that's good. Uh, we have well, make a film that's cheap. Make, 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 why, why not make the uh, why not make sequels just as cheap as the originals were? Um, yeah, but that's tricky, isn't it? Make it's five something. sequels for every for every yeah. every successful prequel. To see what happens. Yeah, I mean, we haven't mentioned the um, the stuff. We, we've got podcasts with me and Chris, and we haven't mentioned Star Wars once. No, um, and actually, so that begs the question of sequels that are critically um, better better judged than the original wish yeah star wars godfather um anyway anyway 
I, I'm lost. Where are we going? I, I mean, we've done this. Have we have we wrapped up? Is that it? I mean, we're only halfway through our podcast. Well, I I think the the sort of you know moving it on from uh, art and into um, you know uh, a sort of setting that that everybody can relate to is you know um, the re- the revisiting of uh, of old ideas and the generation of new ideas. And um, is it is it necessarily a, a bad thing to continually um, reproduce the same criteria to try and deliver success? Uh, you know, and there are arguments that, yes, it is. If you look at, you know, the fall of Imperial China or something like that, you know, arg- one of the arguments about why they didn't succeed was because they continued to dwell in the past and uh, didn't innovate. Um, but is that necessarily true? Uh, if it is true... How do you generate new ideas out of nowhere uh, without, you know, that that antecedent and ensure this or maximize uh, the chances of them succeeding? So like in the movie industry, example, you know, if you had some formula for turning out new films that were going to be just as commercially successful as reboots and, and sequels, obviously you would do that. But nobody has that formula. So how can how can we think about you know um successful lower risk innovation and also is it true that just doing the same thing over and over again is bad i mean can you really innovate i mean sorry let's just think about this what's what's the la- i don't know to what extent your film goers but um or film watchers but what's the last really innovative film you can think about i mean let, let's just pause let's have a think well interesting my my immediate answer was going to be uh, the actor and then i thought no wait a minute that's the oldest reboot of them all you know that's going back to to a very old form of of cinema so actually but it is genuinely innovative the treatment that i think it is innovative i think yes it's revisiting something from um a long time ago back going back to the sort of first era of cinema but i don't think that makes it less less innovative in what it did um, I mean, one I can think of, uh, for example, in a film that no matter how many times you watch it, it f- always feels fresh, is I really like Pulp Fiction. And I think what's innovative about that is the editing and the way the story's cut up and it's and it's non... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Non... Um, linear? Yeah, it's non-linear. It's non-linear editing. Um, but again, Tarantino would say very influenced by, you know... cinematic style of the and the the, whole film is full of references and maybe that's the key right because if you look at um uh, like successful remakes right so something like the magnificent seven is a remake of the seven samurai but there's a whole genre change in there you know language a difference very different cultural setting but the quintessentially the story structure is the same and the, the concepts are the same and maybe that's maybe that's key to it it's it's about um uh you know just a twist on 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 the old but but something that really makes it feel feel new yeah i mean i think um i think this this talking about innovation and i don't want to i don't want to assume by the way that innovative equals good because of course it doesn't uh but when peter was talking about you know variables right if we think about the space that space of possible films uh, you could say that well you know if a sequ- if a film does well 
we know that it's at some kind of local maximum and or you know it, possibly it's it's at a high point locally it's doing relatively well so your your thought is well if we want to be relatively safe we won't move too far away from that and that's why a lot of things are going to get held constant be it the characters or the actors or the directors um going going a long way away from places we know are successful which is what innovation is you know the, the problem is and, and it does seem even though you know the bad films always seem like they're obviously bad in hindsight and you wonder how they ever got made um actually sometimes really really innovative films can can um can you know completely uh change cinema star well, wars is a good example and 2001 space odyssey right. was 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 you know both commercially and by critics not liked at the time right and and um yeah so i mean that that's the thing that you 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 it's inherently going to be a gamble star wars could have been a catastrophe and in fact it it completely had a you know it's got an influence on cinema which is still ongoing to today uh but then there's things i mean i i don't know there are there are things like if you take someone like kubrick um i mean you know Kubrick has done almost a film in every genre and and you know is he being innovative well not really if you look at things like um The Shining what makes it stand out is just how incredibly well made it is you know in in terms of that that story could well have been told by you know a lesser director and it would be a schlocky b-movie um you know but when Kubrick does it it's brilliant not because anything is particularly innovative but just because he he does it really well um so yeah i want to hear from peter um yeah going going back to the analogy of having a sort of multi-dimensional space representing the four possible movies and nick's point that it is a rational thing to do is to just change a few things and not deviate too far from your local maxima and you should be hit on success but i think what what actually happens is when when a cult movie becomes a big hit and then it's the the license is bought by MGM or Sony or whoever uh, and they they seek to make the sequel uh, and and or or the remake to and and to capitalize on that previous successes they change more things than they actually realize they're changing so they may have exactly the same actors the same director the same the same script um but actually just by the nature of the pro- way it's produced the bigger production, more budget, um, more special effects, whatever, ends up being quite a different beast than it originally was. Yeah, there's another thing, actually, which I've just that's prompted a thought, which is that actually, of course, we're not talking about just, you know, points in a multidimensional space where you can be. It is actually quite like mining or something. There's a certain amount of tolerance that, you know, for a certain thing. Uh you know that the first time you do something in a new innovative uh creative uh way um you know you're that you're effectively um you know it's virgin territory but of course then when 50 other people are all making the same film uh you know it, it sees each of those is going to is going to deliver less and less so it, it is it is actually like a rivalrous like you're using up resources in a certain creative area i mean for crying out loud superhero films I, I how are they still making them mm. but peter loves them obviously so uh you know we've got him to blame yeah <laughs> um, oh, and and there's also i mean there's also fine yeah so the finite resource in space in any given genre but also the there's environmental effects so you know five years from now we may have gone culturally you may have completely gone off superhero movies they might just they might be passe and um, and um silly a bit like um, historical uh, I think they are now but, about a, yeah. a bit like historical movies about the Second World War they're kind of out of favour 
But it's, it's probably you know, worth mentioning that Peter is actually sitting here in his Black Panther costume. He loves superhero <laughs> films so much. <laughs> it's Captain America, actually. Um, yeah. So, the, so there's a, there's lots of so I think what so the so when they do come to make the remake, they changed lots of things and it it's deviates further from the original movie. But they're also doing it at a different time, so um, they're in competition with other movies. So if there's a if there's a finite capacity for the public to consume disaster movies, then making a disaster movie along with everybody else is not a good idea. Um, and the the appetite for disaster movies may have may have dissipated. Yeah, I think uh, it's an interesting question. What what's what genres or subgenres might uh, are there? You know, are there lovely sort of virgin fields to be uh, prospected? Um, I'm just thinking in terms of, you know, I think we are absolutely saturated or at least we aren't. We have been uh, and which is why nobody makes them anymore. But zombie films, you know, we, we there was everything was a zombie film about three or four years ago. And of course, you know, George A. Romero, Night of the Living Dead, uh, absolutely groundbreaking first zombie, first sort of mainstream zombie film. Um no, but I mean, you know, and 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 widely regarded as the, one of the most important horror films ever made. But of course, not by no means the first horror film. Um, you know, zombie uh, films are a subgenre of horror films, and he didn't innovate a whole. He didn't invent a whole new genre. He invented a new type of, uh, you know, threat in that genre. And I just wonder if we might speculate what what kinds of genres or subgenres do you think is is under underutilized? Where 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 should where should people be going? I think we need more war films. There's not enough top quality war films around at the moment. But war war films are def- have definitely had their had their debt. You know, I mean, there were lots of John Wayne and you know Dirty Dozen kind of kind of films. Yeah, that um, and exactly. That kind of we had a lot of Vietnam we films. We did have in the eighties. Uh, yeah. I'd say it. Well, it feels to me like there were more films that were Vietnam related than have recently been made about Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah, although there were a few of those. There have been the, a few, um, but... Uh, I, I, so being specific, I want to have more Second World War films out there. Right. There's not enough at the moment. That's okay. my feeling. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe one's about cutting-edge analysts. You yeah. Know. Yeah, I think that, yeah, that absolutely. would be really... Living the... <laughs> DI yeah. the movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so look, 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 look. Um, I know you've asked a question there. Peter? Yeah, I think, that, I, I think something that's not very uh common at the moment a kind of classic um investigator murder mystery type movies i'm thinking a poirot kind of movie i mean the kenneth Branagh poirot was fairly a couple of years ago quite good but i think there's space for more of those because that's a there's lots of people who love that kind of genre of movie um but at the moment it is all uh superhero movies and um chick flicks and and just yeah the normal stuff it's all about the action and lots of stuff all quite glitzy mm. but not much necessarily going on underneath but but yeah so i like that uh nick well this is more of a forecast than a what i'd like to see particularly but um you, you know how you mentioned sec- second world war films it's unlikely we'd have had many of those if the second world war hadn't happened True. Am I right? Okay, Probably, so yeah. so so you look for a You're thing. You're saying you don't want any third world third world war films? No, those. T- well, sort of coming to that. Obviously, in the eighties, we had the Cold War. 
uh, and uh, concomitantly some pretty good Cold War films. I'm thinking, you know, War Games, Rocky Four, Red Dawn. Um, what have we got now? We've got uh, Brexit. We've got the culture. Well, I'm going to put it all into the one big bracket of the culture war. We've got Russia back on the menu. I think that's kind of fun. That could be a rich theme. You know, global. We could have another Cold War-y type thing. But no, I'm thinking more the culture war. So I'm thinking the whole kind of, you know, identity politics, the film. Um, but as a theme in films, you know, uh, sort of the issue of, of um, you know, of privilege and, and of, um, you know, of political correctness and... Uh, affirmative action and all of that stuff i i think that's that's something that you know as soon as just like as soon as donald trump came up and showed everyone that you could be successful uh, and completely ignore all the things that people thought you uh had to, had to do and at the moment i can see hollywood hollywood is not going to make a film that's in any way sort of casting aspersions on that kind of mainstream um uh, identity politics uh sort of set of views but all it'll take is one person to make a film which is let's say quite reactionary and mm. I can see that bit of the floodgates being opened. Well, also that ties into actually one thing I was thinking. It'd be nice. Um, I don't know if you could exactly call it a genre, but comedy. I I think we're lacking some really top-notch, good quality comedy films, and that would tie nicely into this culture. I, I think so. Yeah. Truly subversive. Yeah, uh, Chris. Well, I think for me, uh, the um, the the thing that I would find uh, most interesting is that you know um some technologies have made films possible so the the fact that you um you know cgi became a thing has made all of these superhero films yes we had superhero films before that but they were limited in what they could deliver um and so i'm i'm really looking for a, a new technology to come along and enable a new a new genre i'm not sure what that technology might be that could be something we um uh, we focus on in a, in another podcast. Maybe VR, but, maybe but, VR. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, exactly. Some something more more immersive that enables you to perhaps get more of a more of a, a genre of uh, you know realism, kitchen kitchen sink drama. Like yeah, this. good acting and screenwriting. Yeah. That would be an exciting technology to see. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't... Uh, we, we probably haven't got time to discuss, you know, actual cinematic technology like 3D and VR, but um, I would be very surprised if they take off, but they just have a very long history of, of you know, of failure in yeah. cinema. Uh, I really liked your answer to that question, to the question posed by yourself, Nick. Um, okay, we're going to stop there. Um, thank you, as always, for listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. I'm Fraser McGrew. We've been here with Peter Coghill, Chris Ragg, and Nick Hare of Aleph Insights. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>